Hey everyone, just a quick word of warning. You're going to hear some explicit language in this episode. Hey y'all, I'm wondering how you spent your weekend. This weekend I walked through the San Francisco airport proud to see the rainbow flags and a tribute to the Castro and Harvey Milk. This is how I was welcomed into the city and it's Pride Weekend. As I read the stories about Harvey Milk's activism and the progress we've made since then, I also thought about the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. And I realized this ruling is also the result of activism. And I'm still trying to figure out how we got to this point. I was listening to some stories from both sides of the conversation and heard one man, an Indiana lawyer who's anti-abortion access, he said, politics is a process, not an event. And it became more clear to me that people really do have more power when we organize, whether for good or for bad. Our government is made up of human beings. The Supreme Court justices are people just like us, I think. I hope that we can find a way to make more of them understand that for so many of us, this decision is depressing, horrific, and fucked up. The Roe v. Wade decision could also impact other cases that have been set as precedents for LGBTQ civil rights. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, I have the joyful opportunity to speak with Michael Lyle, a reporter from the Nevada Current. We're going to talk about the ways anti-LGBTQ rhetoric affects the community, how Nevada is handling it this election cycle, and about what stories are bringing Michael pride and joy. It's Tuesday, June 28th, 2022. I'm Vogue Robinson, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. Hi, Michael. Welcome back to CityCast Las Vegas. Hi, thanks for having me. And I'm excited to have my first interview with you. So it's a first with, on that front. Yes, now you're officially part of the whole team. I'm officially part yes. of the whole team. We're officially part of the whole team. Yeah, <laughs> We're in here. <laughs> uh, so we're in the last week of Pride Month. How has Vegas celebrated? Ooh, so... The funny thing about Pride, so like uh, June is Pride Month. You see all these major cities are starting to have their parades that will go through the summer. Mm -hmm. Southern Nevada has had a few events. We've had things in Henderson, Mm -hmm. in Mesquite. They're celebrating like their second Pride, which is kind of cool. I know. Get on it. Get on it, Mesquite. Like, uh, (laughs) but. We are going to continue to have some Pride uh, events. And actually, our Vegas parade isn't until October. We're at kind of the end of the circuit. We close out the Pride parade circuit, which is cool. I think we we pushed it in October because we used to have an August and, you know, August in Vegas is a little bit hot. It was too hot to be outside in the streets half naked (laughs) or fully clothed. Either way, it was too hot. Uh, Okay. (laughs) But to be quite honest, it's... I've been experiencing a lot of conflicting emotions this Pride. Mm. Uh, We've seen a rise of anti-LGBTQ rhetoric the last Mm -hmm. few months. I mean, there's always been animosity towards gay and trans people, in particular trans people. But these last few months have been hard. And so coming into this Pride, I've been doing some vibe checks with myself, some vibe checks with friends. But then also, like, as a queer reporter, also talking to people in the queer community and hoping to do some storytelling about how they're feeling. And, And it's funny, like... I started that journey and talking with members of the LGBTQ community mm-hmm. back in April because I wanted to do a story then when some of these 
some legislation and some the rise of this rhetoric started to really shape. And then because and of gonna, the... Sorry, I'm going to mm-hmm. pause you really quickly. So break down, what does your vibe check sound like? So when you do a vibe check, is it general? How does it go? Tell us about the vibe check itself. Ooh, the vibe check. Okay. Well, for myself, really asking honors questions to myself and just actually just posing to my close queer community, it's posing those same questions like, how are y'all really feeling? Like mm-hmm. beyond the saying like, oh, I'm just fine. Like, I'm good. It's Pride Month. Woohoo. This is us. Like really like, hey, how are these laws really impacting you? How are these anti-groomer sentiments really impacting you? Mm. It's it's asking them questions like that and um, and having them having honest questions Responses, responses and honest texts and dialogues and mm-hmm. conversations over margaritas like having a lot of that and just really being truthful and just not going oh we're fine we're gonna persevere and pride woohoo like just having those deeper conversations absolutely and that kind of re- reflected a little bit into some of the questions i was asking people in the the queer community for the stories i was hoping to, to work on and some of that should start to be published this week too but oh, it's funny when i was talking to them in april at the rise of this, I had to drop some of the stories just because of election coverage and pick mm-hmm. them back up after our primary. And it's funny how much changed in two months, how they were kind of cautiously optimistic in April. And they got a little bit more nervous by uh, June because a lot had happened yeah, by then. So um, a lot more things have happened. Yeah. Wow. And I can definitely understand that feeling of trying to, how do you balance out? Like, we're we're here and we're we're proud and we're out, but also at the same time, here are things that are working to take away our rights to right. push us back into the shadows. Um, when that's not the place I feel like people belong. Exactly. Uh, how has the national political conversation about the LGBTQ community evolved over the last year? So there's always been an animosity towards the LGBTQ community, and particularly the trans community. I mean, for years, as long as I've been a reporter, as long as I've really paid attention, I've seen so much hostility towards the trans community. But this year alone has been unprecedented. We've seen close to 300 bills nationwide being proposed on restricting the rights of gay and trans people. The famously tagged Don't Say Gay bill in Florida that has been mirrored in other states across the U.S. Legislation that has targeted and essentially criminalize giving treatment for gender-affirming care for the trans community, restricting trans access to public accommodations. We've seen the rise of these proposals. Not all of them have stuck, but just the the rise of it has actually led way to seeing more politicians, more right-wing conservative politicians using words like, we have to enact these laws because they're groomers, they're trying to indoctrinate our children, Mm. they're othering the LGBTQ community in a way that is just, it's downright scary. And I would say even beyond the laws in Texas, it's tragic that their Department of Family Services is now investigating families who have trans children for providing love, essentially, gender-affirming care to their children. What about in Nevada? What's going on with our state laws? So here in Nevada, we, thankfully, over the past decade, I would say, if not longer, we've actually established a lot of guardrails for the LGBTQ community by uh, bolstering employment protections, tracking of hate crime laws, making sure schools are implementing gender diverse policies for those. So, so people with can use bathrooms and public accommodations that they identify with. So we've 
done that for the most part, other than 2015, when, uh, the legislator flipped and it was Republican control. And then they introduced a trans bathroom bill to restrict uh, trans people from accessing the bathroom with identify. Thankfully, that was oh. not made into law. But other than that, we've put a lot of guardrails. So the conversation here in Nevada and Southern Nevada is more of could this come to here if the legislator flips again, depending if we have the right makeup of the legislator and the governor? And more importantly, like, how is this making me unsafe? How is this rhetoric? Mm. How are these bills filtering down into a rhetoric that makes me unsafe? Uh, a couple weeks ago in Idaho, a pride parade, they arrested 31 white supremacists who showed up to the, the, the hate group, showed up to the float um, and were arrested. And a lot of people view that as just a trial run of what could go wrong. And so it has set a chilling effect even here in Nevada, yeah. even though members of the community know that there are a lot of guardrails in place and a lot of protections in place, it just has this fear that has an unsettling feeling throughout the community for a lot of people. I can't speak for everyone within the community, Absolutely. but a lot of the people I've talked to, myself, my friends, we do like have a little, we're a little bit ner more nervous today just about how we're being labeled as, as groomers and indoctrinating our children. And when we're just wanting to be accepted and wanting to, you know, live our lives. What do you mean by a chilling effect? By a chilling effect, I mean, one, just the overall mental health of our entire LGBTQ community mm. of just not feeling safe, but also like the real world effect of trans kids and youth seeing this and not being comfortable coming out, not being comfortable getting mental health assistance that they need around their journey, not being willing to talk about uh, uh, bullying that they're experiencing mm. or not being able to just be their authentic self. Um, I think about this Texas Tribune article um, that was written about a lawsuit challenging Texas's decision to uh, investigate families offering gender affirming care. And one of the most, one of the saddest things that stuck to me in that article was about a trans youth that after Governor Abbott decided to announce his, his attacks towards the trans community, he just, he tried to take his life. He was thankfully unsuccessful, but he was sent to a mental facility as a, a welfare check. And during that facility, they found out that he was under hormones mm -hmm. or he's taking hormones mm -hmm. that were prescribed by his doctor and they sit family services to investigate the family as a result. And so that just sends a, a chill down my spine that youth are seeing this, the trans community at whole is seeing this, and they're asking, should I have the right to exist? And some of them are saying no and thinking I should take my life, as we've seen in that case and other cases. We know that from data that suicide rates are highest among trans, LGBTQ youth, but trans youth in particular. Mm -hmm. And so I feel that these laws and this rhetoric, when I say chilling effect, is going to cause mental health issues further on, on an already vulnerable population. Uh, what more do you feel could be done regarding our state laws? We've done a lot of the good groundwork, but there's clearly more yeah. to be done. In the 2021 legislative session, there were a couple of bills that did not make it in the legislature. One was to bolster protections for trans inmates. Um, mm. As you can imagine, if being a, a trans person in this community is hard enough, what about being a trans inmate? It's one, it's a humanitarian issue. A trans person should not be mistreated no matter what crime they did. Like, exactly. But two, these are also wards of the state. Like when they enter our correctional facilities, we have an obligation 
to make sure they are treated with dignity. And in some cases, that is not. And so having legislation to actually bolster and make sure trans inmates are protected. But also there was legislation they passed on in 2021 Mm -hmm. that would have allowed medical coverage for gender affirming care as well. And so there was legislation last session that was introduced to talk about that, but didn't go anywhere because there was Mm. a fiscal note. There was fiscal notes on both these things, which means there was substantial dollar amount, not even substantial, I think it was a couple million at most, but Mm -hmm. a dollar amount. And our state said, no, we're not going to do this because it has this dollar amount. And so we could definitely say, hey, we're going to bolster these rights and it might cost, but you know, that's worth it. I feel like we should have a better conversation. Like it's one thing to say, oh, we're not Texas or we're not Florida. We're not doing these. But it's another thing to say, but we are investing and we are taking trans rights seriously as Mm, a state. Right. To not be neutral. Exactly. Yeah. Ooh, that's harrowing because I know some people are, you know, just feel like voting doesn't always feel like it's doing all the work that it could be doing or, you know, the politicians lie and, we feel like we don't have as much power, but these are things where this is really important to vote on because it impacts people's lives directly. Like there's a very clear understanding of how this could impact people's lives. Do you think something could happen at the federal level um, that could override some of these state level protections? That is, I think, where we're trending. Pop quiz. Uh, <laughs> quiz time. <laughs> What year do you think the Supreme Court enshrined protection saying that consensual sex among same-sex couples is law of the land? Ooh. I would hope in the 60s, but I bet you probably the 90s. Is it the 90s? 2003. No! Lawrence v. Texas. That legal case isn't even old enough to drink. Like, 2003 is when we had that. So I mentioned that, Lawrence v. Texas, and then as we know, the Supreme Court made same-sex marriage law on the land in 2015. So these are all relatively new cases. Mm -hmm. Just last Friday, the Supreme Court overruled a 50-year-old precedent, Roe v. Wade, that looked at privacy rights in abortion cases. Mm -hmm. And so uh, abortion is no longer constitutionally protected. It's up to states to determine whether they are going to ban abortion completely, which has already gone into effect in multiple states, uh, or whether they're going to offer some protections. Mm -hmm. So in his opinion, Justice Clarence, my wife, helped organize the January 6th insurrection. Thomas, sorry, that is his middle name. That's his middle name. Um, That's his middle name now. He wrote the other laws, including Lawrence and including Obergefell, which those are the two cases of same-sex relationships and same-sex marriage should be reconsidered. So I bring those to light that the Supreme Court has already looked their eyes at protections for uh, the LGBTQ community. So that could very well be coming down next next you were talking about the chilling effect i feel i feel like i have a better understanding of what that feels like you know it's it's already hostile towards yep. the queer community and so i just i don't know what more is coming but i think it's important to say even at the end of the day when they don't come again these very conversations around legislation restricting our rights and anti LGBTQ rhetoric is having a chilling effect in making our entire community feel less safe. Right. With local politicians, how do you feel like local politicians are addressing all of these different laws and things that are coming down? (laughs) So we do have some anti-LGBTQ politicians on our ballot this November for uh, Nevada statewide and 
throughout school boards. I think back in April, a few of the LGBTQ community groups spoke out against Adam Adam Laxalt, who is running for Senate against U.S. Senator Catherine Cortez Masto for his history of anti-gay, anti-trans stances from coming out in opposition towards gay marriage to coming out in favor for don't ask, don't tell and restricting gay people from uh the military, for a lot of his support of uh, don't say gay legislation. like wow. uh, So the community started speaking out against that in April. I wonder, I'm curious if there have a few more come this fall when we're getting closer to the election. Closer to elections. So we've, yeah. Sheriff Joe Lombardo, who's running for governor against Democratic Governor Steve Sisolak, uh, who's an incumbent, uh, Lombardo had mentioned that he would support something like a don't say gay legislation. And so we have some politicians in the ballot that have publicly stated that they support these measures that they've seen across the country. And then from school board races to legislative races, too, we've I've been scanning and even heard them co- make comments about calling trans people groomers or calling gay men deviant and calling it deviant deviant behavior. Like, I've seen that on the campaign trail, and so we definitely have a slate of anti-LGBTQ lawmakers that are running for office right now, and so it's it's terrifying, like, of what could be coming. And Right, and what political machines are, are like, running, fueling their engines. Like, who is giving them money to be able to run major campaigns? Yes. How, how can we support the LGBTQ community? Because even if these politicians aren't elected, obviously there are still things that need to be done and, and people still need to be supported. So I'm curious from your perspective, what are things people can do? I want to say first and foremost, talk to the LGBTQ community and particularly the trans community. It's amazing how many people have opinions about trans rights and don't know any trans people. I think there's a saying, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, but it's like, don't talk about us without us or something mm, to that effect. Right. And so I've heard a lot of queer people say that because the politicians aren't really going into the community. Not as many, other than photo ops, not as many politicians are going to the community to hear their actual stories, to hear about their actual needs. So I think first and foremost, if you want to support the LGBTQ community, you actually have to learn their stories, which is why part of me, my job as a reporter is to do a better job at telling some of those stories. Right. Even as a, a queer reporter myself, like I do know I need to step up my game when it comes to storytelling, especially of the trans community. Not just their struggles, but their joys. I feel yeah. that storytelling is so powerful to connect you to to people that you don't necessarily engage with. Like I said, so many people have ideas and thoughts about trans rights, but don't know trans people. And maybe storytelling will help lift that veil a little bit and Absolutely. show you that they aren't scary. They're just people trying to exist and live and love and just be free. Yeah, I definitely, I know for myself, that's definitely been what's opened my eyes and helped me be a more understanding person. I have several friends that are just within colleagues in the poetry community who go up and tell their stories through poetry. And it's Mm. been eye-opening and I've definitely walked with people and cried and and thanked them for sharing their stories. Those are universal feelings that I think everybody can connect to. And I definitely think storytelling can help. Absolutely. So you said joy, so you know. This Pride Month, my dear, what is giving you pride and joy? I'm glad you asked that question because I want to end on a good note and like a prideful note. But honestly, queer storytelling, in particular, I think of a lot of the shows and movies I've been watching recently. I just saw 
Fire Islands, which is a comedy, a rom-com about gay, and particularly gay Asian men, which is another subset of the gay community that doesn't often get to tell their stories. But I feel one of the biggest things, and if you know me and you're listening to me, you know it's coming. I (laughs) have been nonstop pushing the show, the Netflix show Heartstopper. It is one of the most heartwarming and enduring pieces of television that I have watched in a while. It's the kind of show that I wish that I had when I was in high school, but I know that it's saving lives right now because people are seeing their stories told on television. television. In this cast, it's gay, trans, and bi. Like, it covers the rainbow. It's people of color. It's it's very inclusive and heartwarming. Yes, there's homophobia in the world that they're dealing with. Yes, there's hate and questions about existence that they're dealing with, but the way that they handle it leaves you a little bit hopeful, and it's left me a little bit hopeful. Mm -hmm. There's this question lingering over everything that we've talked about on whether gay and trans people should exist, and the message of Heartstopper is, yes, yes, you should exist, and you matter. You matter. It's okay to love yourself. I'm so glad we got to meet. Um, we're going to hug when we meet in real life, in person. If you want to hug. <laughs> consensual I want to hug. I was like, consensual hugs, but It's thank consensual. You. We're hugging. <laughs> thank you, Michael Lyle, for being on CityCast Las Vegas this morning. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, everyone. Some quick news updates. Nevada colleges are also being impacted by the Great Resignation. With salaries and raises not keeping up with the cost of living, many wonder where Nevada's professors of the future will come from. It was 25 years ago today that Mike Tyson bit off a chunk of Evander Holyfield's ear during a boxing match at the MGM Grand. Even folks who don't care about boxing heard about that. It was one of the biggest sporting moments in Las Vegas history. If you want a space to say what you're feeling, please do. Share your thoughts with us on Twitter and Instagram. Call the line and leave a voicemail. We're here. We're listening. Info is in our show notes. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. If you enjoyed the show, go ahead and tell a friend. Give us some stars. Leave us a review and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back Thursday morning with more news from around the city. Take care of yourselves. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we're not talking about anything. We're fucking around. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, black Jesus. Okay. <clears throat>